Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Everybody, this is the KFPK Outdoor Show. I'm Bob Sims. Thank you for tuning in this morning. Well, we sure have beautiful weather, but it's not doing us any good. It's too warm. It's too warm up in the mountains. It's too warm in the valley. It's affecting all kinds of fishing and hunting. Uh, it's still happening, without a doubt, but uh, is definitely, definitely not good. So let me give you an example. Salmon in the Sacramento River. It's the same old story. There's fish moving through. There's fish especially coming into the Sacramento area because the American River run is usually one of the latest fall runs in the valley. Those fish are, are moving through, but the water is still warm, and they're just not biting very well. Uh, there's a few rolling down by the mouth. Uh, a few fish being caught, but it's not what we normally see, and that's all there is to it. And you, I don't care how far up the river you go, it's the same old story, okay? Um, the, the, the lower water, allowing it to stay warmer for a long period of time has had its effects. Now, the fish are moving up the American River. A few are being caught in there. Even more are being snagged by those wonderful sportsmen that don't know how to catch them legally. So if you see that, remember, right on the back of your fishing license, there's a Caltip number. Call Caltip and say, I'm, I'm sitting here watching people snag salmon and describe your uh, location. Okay? That easy. Uh, they just proved that a couple of weeks ago on the Sacramento River. They made several cases all up and down the river snaggers because of Caltip calls. So... Um, that being said, uh, people are still out there, not as many, not nearly as many as normal because they're not catching that many fish. So, you know, the weather report every week says, well, next week we're into a cooling trend, trend, then next week comes along, and it's not cooling, it's the same old upper 80s, low 90s. I mean, it was, it was, uh, uh... It, it was actually 90 degrees, I think, so, or over 90, I think, up at Davis Lake yesterday. I mean, just ridiculous. So um, even in the mountains, uh, the, the nighttime temperatures are getting down there, but not nearly what they, they, they 
usually do. I was camping this past week up at 8,200 feet. Now, we should have temperatures well into the 20s, down into the low 20s by this time of year. The lowest temperature in, in uh, almost four days was 31. The second lowest was 36. So that's up at 8,200 feet. That's that's way warmer than I remember it being in mid-October. So, But anyway... Um, We'll talk to Andy Giuliano. He'll update us on what's going on salmon-wise. I mean, last week, every week, we expect it to be over in the ocean, and it never is. We'll see if it's over or not with salmon. We'll get an update on the bay fishing for halibut and even some stripers. Then what we're going to do, because next week is the opening of what they call the balance of the state in the waterfowl season, we're going to talk to Will Bear and kind of recap how the northeastern zone went, you know, uh, for the first time in history, <clears throat> the first refuge set up specifically for waterfowl uh, back in the early 1900s, Tule Lake and the Klamath Marsh were bone dry. Thank you, Bureau of Reclamation, for your normal good management practices. And so it changed the complexion because now we just eliminated the major staging area on the West Coast for waterfowl. That's going to have long-reaching effects. There's going to be refuges in the valley that won't open for at least another month. So don't plan on those. But we'll bear. Uh, he's on top of it. And what you need to know uh, is what you're going to find out here in about a half hour. Um, Rob Reimers was out yesterday in the Sacramento area. He's out there again today. He didn't like what he saw. He he not only didn't catch any, might maybe one takedown, but he wasn't marking many fish, didn't see that many people. It was just strange for mid-October in the Sacramento area because usually it's loaded with boats, but he'll give us a report. Mark Wilson uh, was out. There was a little bit of wind this week, but you know today and tomorrow is the Pittsburgh a striper and sturgeon derby and the beauty about that if you're going to head out fishing this morning you can still enter that up until noon today it's uh, 40 bucks for adults 30 bucks for seniors and by the way there's nobody hardly anybody in that senior division because they all we all want the bigger prize of the thousand dollars per day in the striper division as opposed to the 800 in the senior so if you are over 65 uh, you get in that, uh, you got a very good chance of winning because there's not many people in the senior division this year. And you can go right to the Pittsburgh Marina Boat Dock and you can enter up until noon today. Um, at six, uh, uh, about quarter to seven, yeah, about quarter to seven, we're going to talk to Glenn Lemon, Pilot Peak Guide Service. He's been fishing Pyramid Lake, Nevada for his whole life. He does it all from fly fishing to trolling to jigging and everything. And this has been a phenomenal year over there. And we're going to have Glenn kind of recap it for us because, I mean, it's cooking at Pyramid Lake. Uh, Kyle Wise, headhunter, he'll be down sturgeon fishing, but he'll kind of give us a scenario. There's, there was some nice fish taken at New Malona's trout we're talking about now. And as soon as it cools down, if it ever cools down, that's going to get better. So he'll tell us what we need to do, what we need to look for, and also a few tips on sturgeon fishing. He's a very good sturgeon fisherman. Um, Nate Kelch, Big Nate's Guide Service, is over at Lake Berryessa, 
And while it slowed down just a bit this week, uh, he and a few others I talked to think it's because mainly um, they dropped the water. They, they kind of dumped the lake a little bit. Whenever you have a little bit more than a gradual drop in a reservoir, it tends to turn the fish off, at least for a little while. And if they uh, reduce the flow out, things should stabilize again. But we'll get Nate's t uh, take on it. And then Jeff Brown, uh, he, he works for the people that, that have the concession at Comanche and has for years, you know, and uh, all the other places around the state we've been dealing with for years. Down at uh, Lake Mojave, they had the one uh, US, uh, the one open down there. And uh, he happened to be down there because one of the marinas he represents is on that lake. So he's going to give us a first-hand report of the uh, open Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of this week. And here you have it down in Mojave, down by in, in Arizona. And the pictures I got were of the most beautiful smallmouth you've ever seen. So I'm not familiar with that here. I just don't go south. So that's pretty interesting going to Arizona for smallmouth. So. And then, uh, you know, the Klamath River situation continues with the uh, with the result of the big fires and then these these flash floods uh, created by these thunderstorms just dumping an enormous amount of water putting all this debris into the river and now the river's picking it up still and uh, kind of uh, taking it down river from Hamburg which is near the mouth of the Scott River clear on down to Happy Camp you have you have so many, uh, so many creeks entering a river, and many of those are carrying that silt and mud. So uh, what's the situation? Well, Doug Cole of Mar Marble Mountain Ranch is going to update us. And there is some light at the end of the tunnel there because fishing had not been good when usually is on the Klamath. <clears throat> this last week, there was a little spark, at least with adults. So we're going to find out what it is, okay? Then Andy Gibord of Keeney is going to check in and give us an update. The the steelhead and half-pounders on the American, it's getting a little better each week. This was another example of that. People are catching these 20-inch or 18-inch half-pounders and 22, 23-inch adult steelhead. So that is very interesting and very, very good news. Um, the Shasta Lake Fall Trout Derby is underway this morning at Shasta Lake as a two-day derby. And Gary Coe is up there, so he, if he has a signal, will call in. I talked to him yesterday, and uh, some fish are being caught up there. Uh, even though Shasta's low, without all the water, without a, off the, all the water sports people, uh, the, the water is clear. And basically, Shasta stayed off color all summer long because the lake is low and the water sports people get up there, you know, with their wakes uh, going against the shoreline. And then that mud goes further and further out in the lake. It was not a good fishing year at Shasta for the cold water species. So looks like it's ready to go. Uh, it should be a very interesting report. We've got other issues um, where I was, where PG&E announced the day after they closed campgrounds that they were going to close campgrounds. The typical ineptness of PG&E continues. We'll get a report also, just briefly reports on Eagle Lake, uh, the Trinity River for Steelhead, Davis Lake, the Upper Klamath River, where they're catching 
15 to 20 bright, beautiful salmon every day. It's all catch and release because they reached a quota, but uh, wait till you hear some details on that. There's a fishing in the city today at Granite Park at 9 o'clock, 9 o'clock, but what it is, it is a bass seminar for the kids, adults, on how to catch fish in some of our ponds and other waters. It's a full-fledged bass seminar by Don Paganelli, who does a very good job with that. Um, Folsom, we'll get a report there. Uh, we'll tell you where you can go to find out all the fall colors, and they are in certain areas beautiful. CaliforniaFallColor.com is the website. Uh, we'll tell you about the big NorCal guys and sportsmen's dinner coming up, uh, and a little history with the big tree in Carson Valley route where I camped this last week. And uh, you look at this route and how wagons got through that country in the 1850s is just mind-boggling. We'll give you a few details on that as well. All that and more coming up in the next two hours and 45 minutes on the KFPK Outdoor Show. Thanks for being here. Welcome back. Welcome back. Well, like I said earlier, uh, you won't find out any predictions from me about how salmon fishing is going in the ocean because every time I think it's about done, it's not done. But here's a guy that knows, Andy Giuliano of Fish Emeryville. Good morning, Andy. Oh, good morning, Bob. How are you? Pretty good. Well, what happened this week, ocean salmon-wise? Yeah, I think. Well, I think we're close to wrapping it up here. Yeah. So we had, it did this was the uh, definitely fell off you know pretty dramatically this week, and uh, so hopefully the, all those fish are going to find their way up to the river. I know it doesn't feel like that right now. We had we were at a fishing game commission meeting for a couple of days this week too, and I know the guys up there just haven't seen these fish. And and uh, by and large, you know we've got what we were supposed to get down here for the wreck guys. We're we're a little bit under what the the predictions were for. Uh, from the council there in the spring, you know, the commercials somehow, even with the restricted season, they, um, they really put a big number up again. So I would expect we'd see some changes in that next year, but we did pretty much what we were supposed to do this year. And, uh, all in all it was a great season. So what, what does the commission feel about, uh, what's going on in the rivers? Uh, well, did that come up? You know, Yes, it did. It came up a lot. You know, so there's it's a, there's like eight different points in here, but you know, so a lot of the fish that that are in the ocean are there's no doubt that when those fish are brought down from McCullamy Hatchery and specifically, um, but any of those fish that are released down here at Fort Baker in the bay or the fish from the net pens that are out along the coast, there's an astronomical return rate on those fish than fish that we're dumping in the rivers right now, and that's yeah. That's a lot of water. You know, those are water conversations. Of course, you know, as you know, you got no flows. You got low water, high predation, and those fishes don't have a chance. Um, so the you know the, the modeling said we would catch about eighty eighty to eighty five thousand salmon, and uh, recreational wise, the state's going to be a little bit below that. But we have no complaints about what we saw recreationally. But the modeling on the commercial season just isn't matching up to what they're harvesting. They're just they're too good for what they're doing right now. So well, they've only been practicing this. They've only been practicing uh, how to figure this out for 20 or 30 years. It's good to see yeah. they're consistent with their lack of results in it. 
Yeah, so they're going to have to make some changes because yeah. yeah, they, they had raised the escaping goals for that Central Valley system, you know, astronaut. Now I want to say astronomically, but they pushed them up quite a bit, and they just can't get you know you you guys can't get the fish back up there. These fish from the McCullough, by the way, that we see out here, those aren't counted in the Central Valley numbers. So you know that's kind of a you know that's a problem in terms of it. They have to address that at some point because it's just not right that you have all these fish and then you don't count them and you know they're not accounted for. So that that doesn't make any sense. But mm-hmm. they're going to have to. I mean, it, something's got to happen. I know there was a couple with a couple of the guide associations up there. I think they ought to shut the thing down up there and you know that would be you know pretty dramatic for that to happen. But uh, but you know that's some of the. That was some of the conversation that they that um, you know. That we're well, well, f- first of all, you know, when when something like this happens, there's always going to be people going to shoot from the hip here, and when in fact, while while we're not catching many fish up in the rivers, and there's not enough water to get them up in Battle Creek on a consistent basis, um, they are spawning in the river. I mean, we get that from fishermen all the time. And we, we're not going to know until all the fish reach the hatcheries, the carcass counts are done in the rivers, the whole Marianne, and that's not going to be till after the first of the year. Then we'll know what's going on. Yeah, I agree totally. Because it it does you know, it's you would just by nature these fish are going to end up there late. Just by you know we saw mm-hmm. them yeah, later yeah. than we should, and we know they're not in a rush to get up there until the yeah. water cools down. And I would say I know for our guys, the worst thing you can do for our guys down here, customer wise, industry wise, is not let them fish. That's the worst thing. They they're yeah. not made up not to fish. There's no money to be made doing that. So. You know, so I would agree that when you when you go that far out to the to the extremes and want to close something down, you know, maybe it's hyperbole. I don't know, but it re- that's it's really dramatic and it's painful. To, well, Andy, and you know, I I it's obvious I've run out of patience with this, but it just irritates the hell out of me when. Uh, our commission content considers shutting down a fishery when they have been inept in managing the fishery so we don't have to shut it down. And, I, I mean, yeah, so, it's the same old story. Yeah, so one thing, just to clarify that, Bob, it was really the, it was the industry that was chiming in that they wanted to shut it down. So the commission didn't suggest that at all. Okay, okay. The I stand, so I stand corrected. I stand yeah, corrected. Some of the guides association. So anyway, so that just to make sure that's clear on okay. that. But, yeah. But it does. Okay. Have, but the but the point being though, I think is that it does have to be addressed. That you've, you mean whether it's water, and obviously you know we're expecting another you know subpar weather year, whether it happens happens or not. But um, but that's got to be addressed at some point on, on just how to mm-hmm. how to get those fish back sure. out there. But yeah. So we'll, well but the... you know, it's just one of those things. Uh, we're right back to um, it's amazing how water fixes things, and we haven't had any. And what we have had hasn't been managed properly. We know that at least for uh, our natural resources, but. Uh, uh, water would be a quick fix for a lot of those. Yeah, and 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 it's going to be problematic without the water. That's for sure. Yeah. So. 
Uh, you have thirty. That, we had, yeah, we did have a strike. I have to tell you that just you know, okay. so rock fishing's outstanding. But we had unbelievably, we had a striped bass bass sighting in the last week down here. <laughs> we had really good bass fishing uh, in the upper San Francisco, San Pablo Bay here for the last week. The guys had really nice showing of fish. So, who you know, those fish are so crazy. Okay. It's a shock to everybody. Yeah. We're out of time, Andy. Thank you for the update. Uh, this coming week should be interesting. Have a good week. All righty, Bob. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Book a trip with Andy in the Bay, area code 510-652-3403. After the break, we'll bear. Well, next week, the uh, balance of the state waterfowl season opens on Saturday, and... Uh, it's going to be a question mark. <laughs> it's a question mark right now. Uh, you know, you heard all the things about the the dry uh, refuges up north, Tule Lake, Klamath Marsh, the whole works. Uh, it really is going to be, as I mentioned before the break, uh, long-lasting effects, so far, far-reaching effects, I should say. And we just don't know what they they are right now because it's the first time in history that these refuges have been dry because they weren't delivered water by the Bureau of Reclamation. Now, I know we're in a drought, but I'm telling you right now, the Bureau of Reclamation, since its inception, has been never been able to compromise correctly. Then they fail at that year after year after year. They're, they're, they're driven more by politics than anything else, and when politics drive something like this, the resource suffers. Waterfowl suffer, fish suffer, habitat suffers. And it's, there's no indication it's ever going to change. So we just have to figure it out and work around it. And this is going to be one of those years for the waterfowl season because it's a big question mark right now. And a guy that, that tries to come up with the answer and, and does most of the time is Mr. Will Bear. Who is without? Who is with us throughout the waterfowl season? And he joins us now. Good morning, Will. The answer. I feel like I'm maybe Alan Iverson. That was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the compliment there. Yeah. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Well. I like. Uh, Good. Yeah. I'm just going to say you spend an awful lot of time not only researching but in the field and. Uh, whether you're hunting or not, and so you're a wonderful resource for all of us uh, because you're doing what none of us do and can see what you see. So through your eyes, hopefully we'll we'll get a better idea of things. But uh, let's recap the Northeast season, first of all, up to this point. Anyway, Will, what's what's the overall uh, summation there? (laughs) Yeah, pretty dry. I think would yeah. would, would summarize it. Um, yeah, I was up there uh, on the opener, and uh, it's just there's not a lot of water, of course. So there weren't a lot of birds anywhere. Um, I know Modoc shot okay opening morning, but then after that, the reports I got is it dropped off uh, a lot. And then uh, the same with Ash Creek. You know, we just didn't have the local production. So once the birds got shot, they quickly found the safe areas. And uh, obviously there's no weather yet, so they're just sitting and loafing most of the day. So I think it's been tough up there. And then Oregon opened last week, the week after. And um, I think some guys did okay up there again early, but 
um, the birds get patterned. And I think that's what may happen down here, unfortunately, is uh, we have such early migrants now um, that they're going to find the safe race. Last night, I got awakened by some Aleutians, which is kind of crazy. I don't usually hear Aleutians over my house. I had specks flying a few times this, this week over the house. And as people watch Major League Baseball, they saw that speck at Dodger Stadium during the middle of the game. So we know something's <laughs> going off with the flyway. Poor birds are uh, changed quite a bit. So, um, yeah, I think we're going to get hit on a few ways of the base. It's going to impact us, obviously, the local production, which has been, which been, excuse me, which has been down for quite a few years. Then the uh, lack of molting habitat. So there's we're losing our, our birds because they can't molt anywhere, at least not in this flyway. And then the third thing is that staging. You know, we used to get trickles down from the basin. Uh, maybe you get something in, in, in November. You get some birds coming down in December, some birds come down in January. They're just going to, I think, they're just going to have to obviously bypass the basin and either come down early or if we don't get storms, they stay up in Washington and maybe they come down late, you know, just bypass it completely. So we're not going to get a lot of fresh birds, I think, throughout the season. It's going to be kind of all or nothing. So we'll see how that impacts the season. Uh, and then for the yeah. refuge guy, it's going to be tough just because of the lack of water. We have the whole Sacramento complex is closed. So that option is, is not open for guys until close to Thanksgiving. And even when they do open, it's going to be 50% of quotas. So the current refuges, you know, I don't think they've put the quotas out. They may not know the quotas because the, fl- the water's still coming on. So they may not know the quotas till mid or late next week before the yeah. opener. Uh, so he's going to be flexible this year. Yeah. Are there any Valley refuges that are going to be open uh, sooner than mid-November? Yes. So the the state refuges will be open, um, at least in the North Valley. So we're talking Upper View Basin Complex, Gray Lodge, Yolo. But in the San Joaquin, I think most of those, the grasslands, most of those are open. It's it's interesting how the water allocation is. They Those refuges, because of the Central Valley uh, Improve, Project Improvement Act legislation, they actually have water. Um, I think they're getting 75% allotment this year, but it doesn't mean they're going to have 75% flooded by opening day. I think they might be in the same kind of boat where it might be 50% early in the season and then it trickles. It might get a little bit more because you don't want to – one of the challenges a lot of the clubs have, especially in the grasslands, is if they flood, they may not be able to maintain uh, that water. So they're going to flood – a lot of those clubs down there are going to flood later so they can guarantee themselves water to finish the season. Now, that's the first time I have heard a benefit of the Central Valley Project Improvement Act in years. Yeah, it has guaranteed, you know, those guys have done okay on it. And the refuge managers down there have done a better job, I think, of recycling the water, you know, planning for it, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Because they didn't have – the difference between the North Valley and the South Valley, at least from uh, the refuge perspective, is that in in the North Valley they depended on the rice decomp to feed the birds. So they didn't have to be, I think, as productive with moving their water around. Um, and they always had access to water. Well, now um, they're finding out, you know, it's changed. And then down in the grasslands, they never had that rice to hold the birds. So they were doing a better job, I think, in the summer um, and getting water on and then getting it off and growing more moist soil plants for waterfowl. Mm. So, yeah, interesting. So we'll how the season pans out. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting. There was a good article on the uh, – I heard you talking about the basin just before I came on, and I talked to a local who had, had worked in the um, – you know, for Tula Lake Irrigation District, and he was telling me that uh, 
Klamath Lake is five inches above the historical average for this time of year. So I don't, I don't know, you know, I don't have the information on that, but if that's true, it's just crazy, you know, that we're holding water back for farming and we're also holding water back for waterfowl. They did a nice article in a, a publication called Meat Eater uh, just recently, and they interviewed the former manager of the basin and the current manager of the basin, as well as some biologists. And it's just the Bureau of Reclamation and, um, through the Endangered Species Act, it's just failed the fish, and it's failed now. It's failing the waterfowl. So, and the fish are, are in dire straits. That sucker, and um, he's never going to recover because it takes him, I think, 20 years to even breed. So, why are we starving out the the waterfowl too? I mean, I think it's a way to to make it. It's not all or nothing, you know, with the Endangered Species Act. I think they need to modify that to give the basin a chance. Because right now, without any water there, that refuge is it's becoming an antelope refuge. And uh, not a waterfowl refuge for yeah. which it was uh, designed for. Well, and uh, this sucker issue has come up before with low water in Klamath Lake itself up in Oregon. And um, and yet uh, those suckers survived there before there was even a dam there when it was a marsh type of lake. So I don't right. understand why they need more water. I really don't. Yeah, I don't think the water is necessarily helping them. They're not obviously they're not rebounding with their counts yeah, with how they're yeah. managing it. So they need to do something different. It'd be nice if they could uh, provide some water for those refuges because, like you said, it is unprecedented. We've never had, uh, you know, Lower Klamath has been dry for the last two or three years, but not uh, Tule Lake. So Tule Lake, um, it's going to be interesting how it's completely dry as well, and um, it's going to impact the migration. It's, it'll be interesting to see if we get, you know. If we have any telemetry on some of these birds, I know we do with the specs, but if we yeah. had some telemetry on the ducks, what are they doing? You know, and where are they? Are we ever going to get these birds back? That's one of the fears too: is do we lose the flyway? You know, and this would this have... would be this would be the year to do the telemetry because it's unusual. It just would add to the science. But my guess is, will they'll do it next year? <laughs> it won't prove a damn thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, yeah. Well, also the bird counts. So if they do counts, if they get up in plains and look where the distribution is, and guys can see, you know, they're going to be where the water is, and the west side is completely, you know, it's pretty bone dry over there. So the birds yeah. are going to move to areas where there's more permanent water, or at least there's more water coming on. They'll, you know, they'll they'll bounce around to where there's new water. So, yeah, those who have water on opening day will do well, I guess, huh? Yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I, I think it's, you know, the weather's going to be warm. Um, I think the birds, it, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to be a pessimist, but it could be a tough opener with the warm weather and uh, the birds, you know, again, finding the safe areas fairly quickly. Not a lot of hunt, hunting areas, at least on the refuges, for the birds to go to. So, and to get patterned at. You know, it takes a while sometimes for these birds to get patterned. If the water's coming on late, that's going to impact their ability to find those areas uh, for the hunters to, you know, to, for there to be birds there to begin with. So we'll see how it all plays out. You know, it's one thing, man. Change is constant. And you just have to uh, learn and adapt. And it's just more adapting and adapting as we go on. That's the challenge for the hunter. Yeah, you bet. Will, thank you so much. And uh, we'll see what the season brings uh, through your reports. Appreciate it very much. Okay, we'll be in contact. Thanks, Bob. Okay, Will Bear. After the break, Mr. Dan Bacher. The KMPK Morning News. Mornings are busy. We help you plug into the day with reliable and useful information. So you're prepared for the day ahead. The top news headlines, but also insight beyond the headlines. I'm Christina Mendonca. I'm Sam Shane. Every morning on KFBK News Radio.
There's no shortage of issues. I mean, there's really, I wish there was a shortage of issues, but there's not. And a guy that keeps on top of them somehow, Mr. Dan Bacher, the fish sniffer. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. What's I up? Went to, I went to an event at UC Davis that um, was, was kind of disappointing. And the University of California, Davis, announced that philanthropists, as it calls them, uh, Lyndon Stewart Resnick, the co-owners of the wonderful company, have pledged the largest gift ever to the university by individual donors. They donated 50 million ple- pledge to support the school's quote long-standing commitment to address today's most pressing challenges in agriculture and environmental sustainability unquote. Now, the Resnicks were supposed to show up there, but according to the PR folks, once I got to this event, because I wanted, I wanted to get some pictures of the Resnicks, um, their plane was late. So for this big oh. gala event that, that they had at the Mondavi Center, yeah. they, they uh, didn't, didn't show up. I guess later... Uh, um, at least according to a picture that they took, they, they did show up later that afternoon. But um, the, the the 50 million gift that they're given will get this established the Linda and Stuart Resnick Center for Agricultural Innovation. With 10 million of the Resnick's gifts <laughs> be directed towards annual competitive research grants through the Resnick Agricultural Innovation Research Fund. And their donation also supports UC's Davis $2 billion fundraising campaign. Now, this is this, this, this quote um, is from the Resnicks. It's from a, from a prepared speech yeah. that that uh, a representative of the wonderful company read to the big crowd that was there. But you're going to love it. Quote, uh, quote, protecting and preserving our planet for future means we must take bold steps and push the boundaries of what's possible, said Stuart Resnick, who is also a member of the UC Davis Chancellor's Board of Advisors. UC Davis is at the forefront of tackling climate change, developing groundbreaking technologies and solutions to reducing our carbon footprint and creating a more sustainable agricultural system. The Mm. gift aims to help our greatest scientific minds rise to the great challenge of our time, sustainability of our planet for future generations. Linda, I, and the wonderful company are proud to partner with UC Davis to support this all-important work. Are you impressed, Bob? I mean, I mean, you know, they're uh, r- real known for their sustainable agriculture, which <laughs> which which really helps. It helps, uh, you know, the fish populations in, right. in the right. Valley and San Francisco Bay. I mean, they're the biggest supporters of the Delta Tunnel and uh, of all sorts. They fought every every type of measure taken to, 
to uh, restore salmon. I mean, and uh, they're the biggest, biggest um, fruit growers in the world, and and our biggest nut fruit, and also the biggest citrus fruit growers in the world. Yeah. But uh, yeah. you're pretty. And they're also don't let's not forget is that he's the biggest water broker in California outside yes. the government. Yeah, in so, other words. I mean, water that could be used to restore salmon runs and other environmental needs are not because he pays a price that's ridiculously high for water through the government agencies and then sells it for an even higher price. So, right. No, anyway. yeah. In other words, he's far, not just farming almonds, and pistachios and other crops. Yeah. He's, he's, he's farming water. Yeah, exactly. Know? Well, uh, he hasn't been a friend to the environment for years and years. He's uh, part of the agribusiness movement that are very single-minded in their approach. And maybe, yeah. Dan, if you and I were farmers, we would be too. But the fact remains, he hasn't done anything for the environment and why he uh, uh, gives out allocates to Davis is good, but it's kind of a paper thing worth $50 million. He just bought the university. Anyway, exactly. good job. You just summed yeah. it up. He bought yeah. them. Yeah. Thank you, Dan Bacher. Okay. Bye-bye. After the break, Sacramento River Salmon.